As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul Tenorio, I have a question for you. Is it time to start talking about Adrian Heath as one of the better general managers in MLS? Wow, man, you came at me. I, I was I was planning on doing like a little bit of like I was right and everyone was wrong on this episode, but I did not expect that to as a start, starting point. Well, I didn't even hit you with that in pre-show. No, Pref. it came out of nowhere. But you know what? I, I think that your point... You know, is a good one in the sense that look, this Minnesota United, Minnesota United won right on Thursday night. They they upset top seeded Sporting Kansas City three nothing on the road to go to the Western Conference final. And when you look at how far this team has come in four seasons, it's actually pretty remarkable because that 2017 roster was awful. I mean, really, really, really one of the worst rosters we've seen put together in MLS in you know, until until Cincinnati came along, basically. Yeah, a rival of Cincinnati. It's right there. And yeah. and for Adrian Heath to essentially turn that roster around in two seasons from when, when he and Mark Watson took power in 2019 over roster decisions to this point is pretty crazy. And I think if you look at what that roster, you know, what the roster moves have been in the last couple of years. I mean, you can talk about Grey Goosh, Alonzo, Dane St. Clair was drafted, Ike Opara, Vito Minone, uh, who's no longer there but was a goalkeeper of the year, Robin Lode. Um, going into this year, you know, Tyler Miller, who ended up getting injured, but, you know, is a, is a decent goalkeeper. Uh, Debasi, Reynoso, um, they, 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 they've signed Marlon Hairston as depth, Ja'Cory Hayes as depth. Um, Metanera, who I don't think he's yet. A yeah. really good player. So just a very strong build. And I think even if you go back to some of the moves that I think Adrian Heath kind of advocated for or pushed for in the earlier stages of the roster, Kevin Molino from Orlando City, who tore his ACL, but when he's the hottest healthy, boy, Kevin yeah, Molino, hot boy, might be cold in Kansas Fel- City. Hot boy's hot still boy. hot. A fellow hot boy. Oh my God. Um, Wait, are you putting yourself as a fellow hot boy? Well, I didn't have my own nickname last time you asked me, so I just became oh, another hot boy. That's right. Sorry, I can't remember our own show. <laughs> uh, 
So anyway, I thought I thought that move was was really strong, and he's been so good when he's been healthy. Coming out of contract now, trading Christian Ramirez in the summer of 2018 to LAFC, I believe it was. Like nine hundred and fifty thousand or a million dollars in allocation money. Was it really that much? I thought it was like in the seven hundreds. It was a significant amount of money. I know lots. And I think that it was a. I think it was a really smart move at the time because you can't turn down that much money for a player who was. I'm not saying Christian Ramirez is not a good player. He's, he was scoring goals in MLS, but it it set up the rest of the moves for the roster when they were trying to dig out of a hole. And that was when they weren't really going anywhere either. They were better. They were they were okay in 2018, if I'm remembering correctly, better than they were in 17. Um, but they weren't going anywhere. So. And you were right. It was up to $750,000 in allocation money. But still a really strong move. And so I, I think that you have to give credit to Mark Watson and to Adrian Heath for the roster turnaround and then ultimately the on-field performance because they found the right pieces. And... I think it's worth pointing out they found them in the right places, right? And all of the different places, I should say. They have been really good in the draft. Chase Gasper is another name we didn't mention before. Three three starters came out of the draft. Um, they traded within MLS for, for guys that ended up being big-time starters or contributing to this roster. They went into the international market and found players on lower salary numbers and budget numbers. And they've signed some pretty good TAM and DP players uh, in the last couple windows. So they've done it all. And I, I think a very deserving run now to the Western Conference Final. I will say for all of the smoke, all of the, the the trash talk that was happening about Adrian Heath in MLS in 2017 and even into 2018, people saying, oh, he's a bad coach. They should fire him. He's this, he's that. Nobody's talking about it now. No one's saying, hey, I... I got it wrong. In fact, I got a phone call from a friend of mine from outside of like wow. the, the MLS Do you wanna, sphere. Name names, Paul. No, I got you a, know who I they got are. a call from my friend, and he said, "You know, <laughs> this is a friend of mine who's, you know, I get you know coffee with him, and we talk soccer. We haven't been able to do it during COVID." And he called me at the end of the game. And he said, "I just want to tell you, I got it wrong about Adrian Heath. I didn't, I didn't give him the respect he deserved, and he's he's proved me wrong. He's a really good coach, and uh, I think that you know." Adrian Heath deserves a little bit of that retribution because I I got it wrong. Can I put my hand up? Yeah, I don't think ahead. I was among the bigger Adrian Heath haters, but I thought they were going to take a step back this year. I didn't think him gaining more control over the roster was going to be a good thing for Minnesota. Um, and again, he's proven me and a lot of other people wrong. So congrats to him. He's earned all of the Pinot Grigio in Kansas and a couple of White Claws and maybe a gin and tonic too. Um, so like, but on a serious note, like he's done a, a really good job, and that's going to be a good game in Seattle on Monday night uh, in the Western Conference Final. I do want to, sorry, keep going. Just quickly, I was just going to say, I think what's really interesting about these playoffs is you have this collision kind of of teams that are kind of considered the favorites. I think it's a little bit different in the East than the West, but Seattle certainly is just the traditional power, and Columbus early and all year has been kind of considered one of the favorites in the East. And then you have what playoffs are often about, right? The yeah. team that's getting hot at the right time. Like Minnesota is playing really good soccer. Reynoso is playing out of his mind. Molino has been fantastic. And so you have this clash in the West between 
a Seattle team that just knows how to get it done in the playoffs. They're, you know, the consistent and is super talented too. By incredibly, the way. probably one of, if not the best rosters. I mean, I, I would say, I won't put them up there as the best roster, but one of the more talented teams in MLS, right? Expected to be here, and then you've got Minnesota. Who's, who's a better roster than them? Yeah, I don't know. I mean. I think that you could maybe talk about LAFC, even though they underperformed this year, as just straight up roster wise, like top maybe. to bottom depth wise. I'd probably say I think Seattle. One, but I Seattle's think Seattle right has there. fewer fewer holes in the eleven than LAFC does. But anyway, we we digress. Yeah, I mean the point being that you have like the powerhouse, and then you have like the MLS playoffs, right? Where like a team gets hot and they they string together some wins and they're coming in confident, and it becomes this really intriguing matchup where you don't know which way it's going to go. I feel like maybe the Portland Timbers were the last team that did this um, and actually beat Seattle um, just a couple years ago to advance to MLS Cup. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Minnesota can keep this magic rolling. It's not easy to go to Seattle, but if you're going to pick a year to go on the road to play Seattle, it's one the stands are empty, right? It's the one when the, when no fans are allowed. Just tracking back for a moment, I don't know if we've even said Sporting Kansas City. I don't know if we've said that, those words in this podcast. Minnesota United beat Sporting Kansas City 3 nothing in Kansas. Uh, two goals for Kevin Molino, uh, three assists for Emmanuel Reynoso. Uh, they were excellent. Um, as good as they were, uh, Minnesota saw, saw that game out really, really easily in the second half, managed it extremely professionally, really impressive performance, but as good as they were, as impressive as they looked, Kansas City was a train wreck, I thought. Um, They started the game really well, actually, and could have easily been up 2-0 within about the first 20 minutes. Uh, Michael Boxel had to scramble to clear one off the line, a little Johnny Russell chip early on, and then uh, Dane St. Clair made a hell of a save. I think I want to say the 15th minute on a Roberto Punchech header off of a corner. And from there, it was basically all Minnesota United. Um, I was rewatching that first goal that Kevin Molino scored and the inattentive, inattentiveness, inattention um, on the marking for SKC down that left side was shocking. Just shocking. They had two guys. It was Molino and and I want to say either Finley or, or Lode, maybe even Gasper. Um, going down that that left wing and and there were guys that were marking them and then they pass the ball and they just completely switched off and ran completely in space uh the second goal was fantastic go watch it if you haven't but again i think it's fair to say skc switched off on that one um and then the third you know pretty simple corner kick really surprising performance to me from sporting paul i know they were without Polito. they were without felipe gutierrez as they have been all season one of their dps a really good player but uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what what that was. It was just really poor, and I think it's going to leave a really bad taste in Peter Vermey's mouth for however long this off season ends up being. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we've all been in those games before, or watched those games before, where you feel like you have those moments early in a game, and and you should be up one nothing, or you should be up two nothing, and you're not, and there's like a a deflating kind of feeling that comes about the team when that happens like you you know the inevitable is coming and i i feel like that almost happened and that's by the way that's not that's not something that should happen at the professional level right like, and it almost it sort of happened to them in the first round against san jose too they did score an early goal but they should have scored a few more right. and they let san jose back in and 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 i think we know that you know that this is a team that 
I feel like they have guys on this roster that, you know, you expect to step up in those moments. And I know Peter Vermees was saying, look, this team didn't play in the playoffs last year. There isn't as much of that experience that was actually on the field. There, there's not so much experience on Minnesota in that way. But, either. Yeah. But I just think like, I, I just thought that they maybe lost a little bit when those, when those chances didn't happen. Um, I agree. And, and credit to Minnesota United because they survived it. And then, man, they put their when they put their foot down, it was a as dominant a performance as we've seen in the playoffs. You know, the 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 thirty minutes mm-hmm. in the second half where they are in the first half when they took over was, I mean, it was just a beatdown. Put them in the wood chipper. You know, they they went on Twitter, Minnesota, and they they kind of ripped off uh, the Fargo opening. It was it was pretty funny. You should go check it out. Um, but yeah, put it, put them in the wood chipper and, and flying back to Minnesota, happy campers, uh, short turnaround for them because of TV windows, essentially, uh, they play on Monday. That's two days less rest than Seattle will have. And they have to travel. That's a real disadvantage. And, and that's a thing. Um, it probably won't get talked about a ton, but it is definitely a thing. How, we hit on that match a little bit. You hit on it a little bit, but how do you kind of see it playing out? It's going to be a, a a couple things. First of all, I think it's you can't be you can't start the game the way that they started in Kansas City because Seattle has killers on that roster and they will put those they will finish those chances. It will be two mm-hmm. nothing, um, and so it's going to be really imperative for Minnesota United to start much better than they did. Um, but I agree, it's going to be very difficult for them to have such a turnaround to be ready to play in Seattle on turf. And I, I mean, I even think about little things too, right? Like Kevin Molino tore both his torn his ACL twice, both times on turf. You know, yeah. like that those types of things they matter, right? Especially you know on short rest, traveling all the way to the West Coast, it's going to be very difficult for Minnesota, I think, in Seattle. And I, I think you know as much as Adrian Heath is going to love this, I, I think they're probably pretty big underdogs when you add all of that together. I agree. Um, I don't think Reynoso or Molino are going to have anywhere near the space that they had against Kansas City. I think Seattle's midfield, whether it's Jao Paulo and Svensson or Jao Paulo and Roldan, as it has been the first two playoff games for the Sounders, just really smart, really organized, mobile, uh, good defensively. They're not going to give those guys freedom. And and maybe this team looks a little different, Minnesota, if they get a striker back. You know, they had to play with Robin Lode yeah. as, a, as a false number nine. You know, do they look to go with a different I mean, look? Do they Kai Kamara was Kai available. Kamara? Yeah, they do, decided I'm to saying, play do they way. Do they switch to a different look, right? Perhaps. To, to go against Seattle and say, okay, we need a target up top, right? Because we're going to sit in a lower block and play long to Kamara and have him bring it. Perhaps. I, I think you could see a different look on, from Adrian Heath in this game than you did against Sporting KC, but... Um, but I, I, because of what you're saying, right? Because you can't expect Reynoso and Molino to be on the ball and have as much space as, as maybe they would have anticipated in Kansas city, but really just those midfield threes against each other. Right. So for Minnesota, Reynoso, Greg Goosh and Sounders legend, Ozzy Alonso coming back home to Seattle for a huge match. That's going to be a hell of a storyline. Um, Going up against whether it's let's just say Jao Paulo rolled on and Ladero, that's that's a great battle. Right Man, there. how much Alonso against Ladero with 
everything for Alonzo oh, to play for. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be so good. It, and, and and Heath even took him off 20 minutes to go, save him a little bit tonight, um, get him ready to go for Monday. Ladero has been on another level in the playoffs. And his fitness, Paul, like I've taken a few moments in these last two Seattle games just to like, you know, take a five minute period and just really focus on him. And it is incredible the amount of ground that guy covers. It's insane. Like, just the the way he moves, the spots he pops, he's everywhere at all times. And when he is there, he's always doing the right things and making a game-changing play. It's constant movement. And, and like, it reminds me of the oral history that you did with Chris Camerani and Matt Pence about Chris Wondolowski um, and how he just keeps moving and keeps moving and keeps moving, and it makes him a nightmare to defend, right? Because he's just never stops, right? And... That's what the best players do. They're constantly going and going and going. And I think there's also a difference, though, with Lodero is when you spend the kind of money that Seattle spent on him, when when you have a player who's that technically efficient in the attacking end of the field and who is so involved on the attacking end of the field, you don't expect the defensive work rate to be there. But Lodero does defend. He does incredible and defend. And like and that's what makes him like that extra bit of special, because how can you be anyone else? on Seattle's team and watch the effort that he puts in defensively and think that you can do anything different than that level of commitment to your job. Well, there's one exception to that rule. His, <laughs> na- his name's new who he can do whatever he wants always. Um, but yeah, everyone else point taken. Um, this episode is supported by season three of FX is welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Seattle was not great against Dallas in the, in the conference semifinal. That game was um, a stinker, man. Dallas, I'll give them credit. They made it difficult on them. They were a good defensive team all year, and they came out with an approach of, we're going to make this really hard on the Sounders, and they did. Um, that being said, the Sounders did not cover themselves in glory. Um, it was a tough 1-0 game. Shane O'Neill off of a corner kick, the only goal. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm excited for this match. More I, excited. Gonna... More excited than I thought I would be at the start of today, Thursday, before that Minnesota-Kansas City game. Throw one thing out there that I noticed in that Seattle game, in, and that's just like, they, like, I feel like they like each other so much, and they enjoy their chemistry so much, that they all want to be the guy laying off the pass for the beautiful yeah. finish. Yeah. Like, there were probably, I'm not over-exaggerating here, like, eight or nine times where Rui Diaz or Jordan Morris tried, no, I'm not. They tried to lay <laughs> off a pass to Lodero or to each other, either Rui Diaz and Morris or Morris to Rui Diaz. And it was like a poor layoff and it was never going to be a good pass. It's but like, like, just shoot the ball. Just shoot just the shoot ball. It. 
They shoot were the in jet. good positions to shoot the ball, and they shoot weren't it. doing it. And in fact, <laughs> if you go back and watch the first 10 minutes or so of that game, like I thought it was going to be 3 nothing at halftime because Seattle was working the ball in the final third, attacking third so much and so well and overloading the right side and and connecting and passing, but they just kept passing it. And they never, you know, they were yeah. getting in these good, dangerous positions. They got and they a little never did like anything with it. They got a little like mid aughts Arsenal on us there. Yeah, it was just like gotta, just got to pass the ball home. Just shoot the ball, man. <laughs> and so I, I would imagine, I honestly think that like if they're gonna watch that game back, they're gonna someone's gonna have to point out like, hey, you three, like sometimes it's okay to turn and shoot <laughs> shoot the J, you know <laughs> um and i i actually think that was a big contributor to why things didn't work against dallas it was they were they were getting in good spots and then just making the wrong decision which we don't see very often from that trio and i thought it happened more than i way more than it should and way more than it normally does um and then you know there was a couple times where like, i think one time jordan morris like took a really poor touch extra touch when he could have oh, is this the one when he fell straight on his face he and fell just on his there face and just laid there and i was like yeah that's that sums it up you know <laughs> yeah i noticed that one too i was like oof jordan's had a great year yeah best 11 selection completely deserving of it um but yeah that was kind of i chuckled at that one um i'm assuming you don't think that continues you think seattle advances to mls cup yeah i mean again i just think there's so many things that minnesota has to overcome but like I'm going to tell you the reason I'm pausing at saying this, and I picked Seattle to advance, so I'm going to stick with that. But like when we talk about the Eastern Conference, it's really hard for me to pick against New England because they're hot right now, and there's Bruce Arena, and that's part of like the yeah. playoff thing. Bruce Mystique, you yeah. know. And so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to say that New England's going to pull off the upset because you know, heel is playing so well and they've got this, yeah, a lot of the same reasons, you know, Matt playoff magic working. Well, that's exactly what's happening for Minnesota too. So yeah, I don't know. It makes it tough for me to, it makes it tough for me to make a decision. Uh, but I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Seattle winning at home. Cause that's the easier answer, Sam. Are you Adrian would want you to do Adrian would want you to do that anyway. Okay. So, you know, don't worry, don't fret too much. Um, yes, I am going with Seattle too. Um, although I wouldn't be at all surprised if Minnesota pulls it off. No, they're playing really it, well right now. And I agree with you, Sam. I think it's going to be a really good game. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. You mentioned the other one, Columbus, New England. Um, talk about stinkers of matches. Columbus comes in after playing Nashville. Um, I, like nothing happened in that game until it all happened. Uh, had to go to extra time. Um, ends up surviving before a shootout, advancing. New England. New England's played two games since we last did a show. They beat the Philadelphia Union Supporter Shield winners pretty comfortably in the second round without too much trouble, and then went down to Orlando and did the same thing. Orlando kind of got a little crazy again, which is you know par for the course, I think it's fair to say, for Orlando. But Carles Hill is playing as well as anyone in MLS. I would say it's him, Ladero, and Reynoso right now that are kind of like the three guys in the league. Uh, Gustavo Bo has been good. Tejan Buchanan, right back, all of a sudden unstoppable. And Bruce has kind of touched this team and taken them to the top um, pretty quickly. Uh, eight seed in the conference final. Um, and they're playing their best soccer of the season. No coincidence their heel is back and playing at his best. 
he had been injured for much of this year. Um, and for those of you who don't know him, I like I lived in Boston last year. I saw a lot of the revs. Got to see him up close and personal quite a bit. He is one of the best players in MLS, like bar none. He doesn't get that recognition because he plays for a pretty low-profile team, but he is that good, and he is in his prime. Uh, really an excellent player to watch um, and really lifts that team and lifts his other stars on the revs, Gustavo Bo in particular, to a different level. I'm really excited for this match, Paul. I think New England has a really good chance. I agree. And I think we talked about some of the individual matchups that are com- that's coming in Seattle, Minnesota. And I think there are some intriguing matchups here tactically in this game. You, you, I do too. You, you mentioned Buchanan and how much of an impact he's had for New England. He, he's a converted winger forward who's playing as a right back. And he is just bombing forward and cr- causing problems and overloads on for New England on the right side of the field. Well, if you look at Columbus, Pedro Santos has played really well. Um, and typically plays on the left side. You know, Valenzuela is capable of getting forward on the left as well. You know, I think there. I think that's a battle that could really yeah, that balance is going to be really you know, interesting. How, if you can use those two to put, to keep Buchanan from bombing forward by getting them high up the field, I think it, it creates some issues for New England. So that's a matchup that I think I'm really intrigued to see. How do they do this? Because you have two teams that want to pin the other back using. Um, certain players on that side of the field. Uh, and I think it could it could create some interesting, you know, tactical decisions to be made on how do you defend and who do you leave and who do you let go. Yeah, and Heal nominally lines up as a right winger for New England, but really he spends a lot of time in the middle. And that's what open up, opens up that space for Buchanan to get forward and kind of use his pace and get into the attack. That creates kind of an interesting dynamic in the midfield for the Revs. They've been starting Scott Caldwell and Matt Polster uh, as kind of their two holding midfielders. They've been sitting pretty deep. Gustavo Bo has been the quote-unquote number 10. He's not really a number 10. He's more more of a second striker type. Heel is in there. What I'm trying to say is Darlington Nagby is probably going to be able to find some space in some pretty decent positions. Um, and that's going to be really intriguing too, Right. So it's like, who can win this push and pull between Nagby and Heel in the middle, between Buchanan and Valenzuela on the right? Um, there's going to be a lot, I think, tactically interesting to this game um, that I'm looking forward to. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't, <laughs> it's another one that should be pretty tight, I think. I like the Revs, but that's not really for any rational reason. That's just like, kind of like, ah, it's Bruce, man. It's Bruce and it's MLS and it's the eighth seed, a team that shouldn't have even, wouldn't have even been in the playoffs in a normal season, right? But the expanded field, they're able to sneak in. <laughs> so why wouldn't they go to MLS Cup, right? That's like kind of my quote-unquote air quotes here, reasoning. It's not really great, but like that's sort of the gut feeling that I'm getting. Um, but again, like Columbus could come out and dominate this game and win 2 nothing, and that wouldn't surprise me either. But I do think that there is a lot interesting going on in this match. Yeah, and, and I, I would say like on-field performers, there are some guys who in Columbus who know how to, how to win in the playoffs. Right. And who have been performing throughout their careers in these moments, you know, Jossie's artist has won an MLS cup with under Bruce arena, um, starting up against, against the revs. Right. And, and, And is, you know, is one of probably the top American goal scorer in MLS right now, you know, Darlington Agby, the best American midfielder in MLS right now has won MLS cups in two different cities, but 
they have some championship experience in New England too. They're maybe not the the. They've literally never won a cup. Not not championship, but like playoff experience <laughs> is the word I was looking for. <laughs> they do have. They first of all, they do have championship experience. They have on the, the winningest coach in yeah. MLS history on the bench, but they have guys like Lee Wynn, um, who have who have played. They have some guys that went that went to MLS Cup. Andrew Farrell, Caldwell, Lee Wynn. Um, I think are the three remaining that made that run in fourteen. Kellen Rowe, I would imagine. Kellen Rowe, yeah, Kellen Rowe. as well. So, Another. So they have Teal Bunbury. They, yeah, yeah, they have playoff experience on this roster. It's not like it's it's totally new for them. Um, and and so I I think it's a really interesting matchup. My gut is that New England's going to win this game because something crazy MLS wise has to happen. And if I'm going with Seattle in the West, I need to pick the crazy on the other side of the bracket. But. I don't know, man. I, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. I'm, I'm very. I think this is, you know, maybe not the the quote unquote like sexiest markets, and you know, I'm sure MLS wanted <laughs> no, LA, not, not maybe and LA, not the, and New it's York. It's just not the sexiest markets, <laughs> you know. But it's it's it, there are some cool soccer matchups here, and uh, and I'm excited for it, Sam. Me too, and and I think we would be remiss if we did not mention the fact that Columbus. Uh, is dealing with a COVID outbreak right now. Right. Um, this is something that had it happened in July or August, we would have spent a whole show talking about. Um, I think it's it says a lot about the state of kind of the world and our own COVID, our own personal like COVID fatigue that we haven't spent more time on it. They've had eight players test positive since what last weekend, basically in the last 10, 11 days. Um, and it seems like it's going to go forward. The Revs have had a couple of positive tests of their own in that span. Um, and just a quick note, in earlier this year when the Rapids got shut down, Paul, that was basically a month. They had five players test positive and 12 staffers, 17 total, over the course of like a month. And the state of Colorado and MLS shut them down for 10 days. Couldn't go into the facility, couldn't do anything. The crew have had eight players test positive in like 10 days. And they're going to play a conference final, it looks like, on Sunday. So, kind of wild. Well, I just want to say, it's not just, it's also, you know, we have to chalk it up to the state of the country. You know, this country has been handling the coronavirus pandemic so poorly throughout the entire pandemic. But certainly right now, we, we're seeing the effect of that um, magnified even more. And it's become so prevalent in the country, setting records every single day for deaths and the, the trends of hospitalizations are through the roof. And I think there's become a a real normalcy to yeah. these outbreaks. We're seeing them in the NFL. Um, we've, we've seen them in MLS. And people are just like, oh, let's just it's business as usual. I mean, look at what happened with the Steelers and the NFL playing that game no matter what. Um, yeah. and, and the Ravens like it's just it's embarrassing um, and but it do, it's not surprising at this point because this is the state of our country and the way that we handle pretty much all things COVID. So um, definitely. And I think also we should also note that none of like the major starters or stars of of Columbus have been impacted. The goal starting goalkeeper, starting goalkeeper. Yeah. But but, Eloy you Rune. know, it's not Zellerion. It's not Nagby. It's not Zardes. And so for the people who are. I think that has an impact on how we talk about it. I think so, too. I also think if these were regular season games that they were playing, they would have been canceled, like straight up. They would have been postponed, and if they couldn't be made up, they couldn't be made up. Um, But MLS wants to get the season done. I get it. I do get it. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, 
at this point, none of these four teams are in the CONCACAF Champions League that's going to be played from the 15th to the 22nd. So you theoretically would have some wiggle room. You would have to work it out with TV windows. But as we saw this week, when the Kansas City-Minnesota game got moved a couple of days because it could be on Big Fox, right? And they had to get those eyeballs. You can play around with that stuff. Um, there is the potential to move it, potential to figure things out. I'm not saying it's easy, but if you can if you can try hard enough and you can get your broadcast partner to agree, then you can do it. Um, so maybe there's a potential for a reschedule or a postponement, who knows, but, um, it doesn't feel like that. And honestly, if they didn't do it last week for Columbus, Nashville, I don't see them doing it now when the positive tests have have slowed down for the crew pretty significantly. Um, so yeah, but that is an aspect that I think we needed to talk about. Hey folks, it's Joe Lowry here cutting in again to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, crafted with features that make travel more seamless. And now, when even the familiar looks different, you can count on Away's range of essentials to solve real travel problems whenever you take the next trip. We know, travel is weird these days. But no matter where you need to go this holiday season, Away offers a range of suitcases, bags, and other travel products made of different materials, like polycarbonate, aluminum, and durable nylon. They offer these things in a variety of colors and sizes, so whatever you need to bring with you, Away has luggage that will help make your future trip more seamless, whenever that trip may be. All of Away's suitcases are designed to last a lifetime, with durable exteriors that can even withstand the roughest of baggage handlers. Every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more in, and a hidden and removable laundry bag that separates your dirty clothes. Every suitcase also has four 360-degree spinner wheels that guarantee the smoothest roll, even with the most hectic of airports and stations. Besides all of those wonderful features, there are great benefits to using Away. Away products are designed to last a lifetime. If any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. There's also a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. Away also offers free shipping and returns on any order within the continuous United States, Europe, Canada, and Australia. Shop their seamless selection of suitcases and bags at awaytravel.com slash TSS and gift someone something to look forward to this holiday season. That's awaytravel.com slash TSS. Thank you to Away for sponsoring today's show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Sam, we've made it 30 minutes of an episode of Allocation Disorder in which we we started by talking about soccer-related things. We even talked tactics, and yeah. there's there's a major... I feel like I need to take a shower. Yeah, there's like a major off-field <laughs> bit of news that happened that like 
allocation disorder, we should always lead with the off-field news. I mean, I guess because it doesn't include GAM or TAM yet, we have a reason to wait a half an hour. I mean, I know. I've been waiting on pins and needles for Inter-Miami to announce their roster decisions, too. (laughs) (laughs) Paul was on mute for his laugh, but he laughed, for the record. I just want to state that. I did laugh at that. I did laugh at that. (laughs) But... Uh, only because you constantly entertain me, my friend. Oh, well, thank you. Do I? In, never mind. It's going to make a really bad joke. I restrained myself. I restrained We're making feel like progress happy, here. feel like Happy Gilmore going for the putter throw, but then holding back. Um, anyway, Toronto FC. <laughs> they lost their head coach this week. Greg Vanny, his contract was set to expire at the end of the year. He decided to say peace. He said no mas um, after a really incredible run in Toronto, uh, winning the treble. I hate, I hate saying that. Winning three trophies, Supporters' Shield, MLS Cup, Canadian Championship in 2017, uh, making it to MLS Cup in 2016 and 2019, making it to the CONCACAF Champions League final, where they should have won in 20, what, what was that, 2018? Um, maybe the best MLS team of all time, that 2017 team. And he decided to uh, pick up and leave. Um, you know, it was they, they all said, him and, and President Bill Manning and GM Molly Curtis all said a, a bunch of nice things about the departure. It seems like it was a pretty amicable split. He had been there quite a long time and wants to move on to something new and more power to him. Um, I don't think anyone would be surprised if there was an announcement uh, of who knows when, but in the not too distant future that he was the head coach of the LA Galaxy. Uh, he did play there for a number of years at the start of his career and at the end of his career. He's from Arizona. He went to UCLA for a little while. So he's got he's got ties to that region and that club. I think that would be a good hire for them. Um, but it leaves a big hole in Toronto. It's going to be really interesting to see. That club is in transition, right? Tim Bezbachenko left after the 2018 season. Ali Curtis came in. Sebastian Javinko left. Victor Vasquez left. Alejandro Pozuelo come, came in. You know, Michael Bradley uh, is not the player he once was. And while he's certainly a big locker room presence still, he's on, you know, he's kind of father time is catching up to him. Josie Altidore missed a lot of this year. So a lot of the key players, both on the bench and on the field and in the boardroom, are gone from those 2017 teams. And this is kind of a team in transition. And it's a real chance for Ollie Curtis and for Bill Manning, who I believe arrived after Vanny became head coach. I think it's worth noting for them to really put their stamp on the team in terms of a head coach and what kind of culture they want to create and where they want this thing to go. So with that, Paul, where do you think they want this thing to go? What do you see happening in Toronto? Well, I think that they're going to want some level of continuity. That's a big part of what Toronto FC has been all about. And I did a story on Seattle and Toronto and what's led to the success in both of those markets, the consistency. And one of the things that Bill Manning talked about was the continuity and consistency uh, in the front office. He talked about Greg Vanny. Um, and, you know, it's funny, never, ever count on something being done. You know, I had heard from multiple sources and was told from multiple places that that deal with Vanny, new deal with Vanny was almost done. Well, it's not, it's not done until it's done. So, well, know, yeah, it's been reported that they were, they agreed on terms, they agreed on terms and, and on, on length, and, on length and money. Like that wasn't the sticking point. Yeah. I mean, so when you think about consistency, when you think about continuity, when you think about experience uh, and and knowledge of the market and knowledge of the team, 
and understanding of how Toronto does things. To me, Robin Frazier stands out as the most clear and obvious candidate to take over in Toronto FC. Um, he's a former assistant of Robin Frazier, longtime assistant, sorry, of Greg Vanny. Um, before that, Greg Vanny was his assistant at Chivas USA. He understands. Before how- that, he was at Real Salt Lake with Bill Manning. Right. Frazier was an assistant there. So Manning was president. You know, he's familiar with you know, the way things go in Toronto, the leadership style and structure there, uh, the players on the roster, the players in the academy. He left and went to Colorado a year and a half ago, which I actually think gives him an even bigger plus in the discussion for Toronto FC in that he's kind of purged the ghosts of Chivas USA and the memories that I think ridiculously held him back from getting a job at MLS for some time. Um, and he's shown that he can win in this league and that he can, he, that he's a good manager. He's done, I think he's been, he's done a good job in Colorado this year, managing a very difficult situation that we talked about earlier in the show with the COVID outbreak. So for me, it's an easy decision. I think you call Colorado, you work out a deal, you pay for Robin Frazier and you bring him back. Well, that makes it sound easy. I think that whole part about calling Colorado and working out a deal is a little bit more difficult than oh. you make it sound. Oh, now, now you're <laughs> hesitant to spend someone else's money on this show? Come on. I'm not hesitant to spend someone else's money. I'm hesitant to believe that Colorado would take it. Well, when a, when a coach wants to go, kind of well, hard to who keep knows? Him, you know? Maybe Frazier might not want to go. You know? That's a possibility, too. Uh, Toronto is certainly a bigger, higher-profile job than Colorado, but who knows? Maybe he wants to be back in the U.S., Right. Um, who knows, Paul? Everything's yeah, on the table. I mean, table. why I, would you want to leave Colorado for Toronto? What opportunities could that bring you? L- listen, maybe he wants to live in America. Like, part of it with Vanny, I think it's fair to say, was that he wasn't looking forward to the p- possibility of being in the States away from his family for months at a time like he had to do this year again next year. Maybe Frazier doesn't want to do that. Um, there are real personal considerations to take into account here. And and I do think it would be difficult to get him from the Rapids, right? Like that was kind of a weird situation last year where they got the Toronto charged Colorado compensation. They paid them allocation money to get an assistant, right? And they did it mid-year. So I get it. I get why Toronto did it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little acrimony there. Um, I do think Robin Frazier would be a great choice if he wanted to do it. And if Toronto was willing to pay and if Colorado was willing to let him go. Okay, but if if it's not Robin Frazier, who is it? Where are they looking? Oh man. So I keep coming back to the idea here, right? Toronto, you think big club win right now, right? But I keep coming back to the idea here of of power and control, right? And we've heard or I've heard and and our colleague Josh Cloak up there in Toronto has heard you know that Vanny wanted a little bit more of it when it came to constructing this roster and he wasn't going to get it. Um, and he didn't really have it, right? <laughs> you look at the Pablo Piatti signing that came from, I think, I think Josh reported from, from Bill Manning. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong there. I hope I'm not misremembering his story. I guess I'll have to go back and fact check myself. Um, but that one came from, from the top and Vanny wasn't necessarily about it at the time. And so he wanted to rectify that. Um, I don't know if Toronto was willing. I think the fact that he left sort of says that they weren't. Um, And I think the fact that this is a chance for Ali Curtis to really put his stamp on the club 
that sort of leads me to believe that they're not going to go out and try and replace Vanny with this with a big name, big personality manager who's going to want to come in and have his fingers on the roster and take a lot of control. And so that brings me to this next guy that I know you wanted to talk about, Patrick Vieira. I was going to say, so we crossed Patrick Vieira off the list. I mean, I think it would be a great hire, and I, I'm not going to entirely rule it out. And like, I'm kind of just speculating here, right? But like, the feeling that I get, I don't think Toronto go that route. Well, if you don't go the route of the even a Patrick Vieira, if you if you don't go the route of a, a bigger name person, then then you have to start looking at I think domestic options because it becomes much more difficult mm-hmm. to go to Europe and go and and. I guess this is kind of weird to say because Patrick Vieira was coaching a reserve side in Europe before he came to the U.S. But he's yeah, he's, but he's he's Patrick, Patrick Vieira, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's not quite the same. You know, if you go and hire a reserve coach from England or something like that, I think I it's, wouldn't be shocked if they did that. By the way, I, I I read your guys' story. I read your story as that as a candidate. I just think it's a a weird direction to go because this franchise is about success right now. You know, that's the way they build their rosters. That's the that's the well, but th- you know, think about what Vanny was when he got hired. But he he has an understanding of the league. You know that matters. We know that that matters. And yes, you have Ali Curtis who is going to be building the roster, and Bill Manning, both of whom have a ton of experience within the league. But it matters on your bench too. It really does. And I think if you don't, if you're not going to go spend for the elite foreign coach, right? The Tata Martino, Patrick Vieira level of coach, then you see what happens, right? The struggles that can occur. I mean, even guys who are the next tier down of elite quote unquote foreign coaches who really don't have the pedigree or maybe were in situations that that covered up some of their flaws as coaches, right? You know, Scaloto. Scaloto being the best example of Boca, Diego Alonso in Miami, who won CONCACAF yeah. Champions League, but has struggled so far in Major League Soccer. You know, you see that it doesn't quite work as well as the big money, big name foreign coaches. And so it's a massive risk to go and get a guy who's lesser known, I think. Now, you can point to other Ron- examples. Ronnie Dela did Ronnie Dela Dela or Dome Toronto fine it's still a risk any hires a risk and i think that there's less of it and i do think that there are good enough and interesting enough candidates within mls now you know is it a guy like noonan you know i pat noonan pat philadelphia, noonan in philadelphia. is it chris armis who's still on the market um and it looks I think, like he's gonna be I the think front, he could or be he is the front runner coach. in dc yeah um Ben Olsen was a name that was connected to this job, that, which I just don't that one see happening. Pass the sniff test. Here's one for you, Sam. I mean, this is just stirring the pot a little bit, but Brian Schmetzer. Whoa. No chance. No chance. Why not? Because I think he's he's going to resign. He doesn't Seattle. have a new deal in Seattle. Greg Vanny had a, a contract agreed, and he's gone. I mean, listen, I would be shocked if he left Seattle. Shocked. Should I say it again? Were you, were you again? shocked when Greg shocked. Vanny left Toronto? I was surprised, yes. But Schmetzer leaving Seattle would blow that out of the water. I mean, he's the hometown kid, man. He's Mr. Sounder. He like hasn't ever been anywhere else. You think he's going to leave now on the precipice of a third championship in five years as head four and a half years Listen, as head coach? if he wins another championship right and he doesn't get a contract offer that he likes he is the type, exact type that you described he just wants to coach brian schmetzer doesn't want to make roster decisions he doesn't want to be the technical director you don't know that 
Don't I put mean, those words in his mouth. Come on. Like, there are certain coaches, like, okay, I did an interview with Caleb Porter when he left Portland, and everyone was like, <laughs> Caleb yeah. Porter wants to be a technical director. And I fly down to South Carolina on my way to the All-Star game in Atlanta that year. And so I, luxurious, the life that you live. Yeah, that was real luxurious, taking the rental car from South Carolina to Atlanta after that. Pure luxury. Yeah, um, after s- sitting on the beach with Caleb Porter, chopping it up, like a couple of menches. Slept on at my friend's house just a couple miles away. Uh, luckily, Caleb didn't. Have a friend Caleb there. didn't open up the guest room. I had a friend who lives in uh, in Hilton Head. <laughs> it worked out well. Um, wow. Oh, yeah, just slumming it over there on Hilton Head, huh? I digress. Anyways, but <laughs> no, I do. But Caleb Porter, <laughs> Caleb Porter didn't doesn't didn't want the technical director role. He just wanted to coach. And I think there are certain coaches out there who who prefer to focus on that. Which, by the way, I think is a smarter play. Though Adrian Heath. Is making me look stupid. I think it's dumb to take on both roles. Bruce Arena's done okay with it. Bruce Arena's done okay with it. <laughs> Peter um, Vermes has had a decent run, although yeah, three of the four. Well, he just yeah. lost. Who who's the third coach I'm missing? We got Caleb, Bruce, Schmetz, and Adrian. So uh, two of the of the four are are doing two roles. So I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but. I, I just want to say it would be kind of funny if it ended up being Schmetzer. I mean, yeah, it would be hilarious. <laughs> like, it's like, all right. Like, but why, Toronto, why wouldn't you call Seattle. Him? Like, any other any other person in any other market with Schmetzer's background. The, the thing is, you're saying, oh, I, he's from Seattle, I, so you're not going to call him? I didn't say don't call him. I just said I would you be surprised if he left Seattle. You insinuated it. Like, I think, but I I think, think he's going to work out a deal to stay in Seattle. See, but that's what everyone thinks. My point being that no one cares in other leagues where the hell you're from. Like, no one's like, oh, don't well, call. But, but, but Schmetzer talks about it all the time. <laughs> I, I, I agree that it's very unlikely he leaves What are you Seattle. trying to say here? <laughs> that they should call him. That's all I'm trying you're to say. You're confusing me. I'm all just right. saying yeah, they should fine. call him. Call him. Um, maybe they call Gonzo Pineda. Brian Schmetzer's, I, I think Brian Schmetzer's assistant. Certainly ready to be a head coach in this league. And I, I'm surprised. I am surprised. If it ends up being Armis instead of Pineda in DC, that's a surprising hire to me because Chris Armis is a lot more like Ben Olsen than Pineda is. And I think DC United, I would have thought DC United wanted to go in a very different direction than something that feels more similar to Ben Olsen. Yeah. We'll see if Armis ends up being the hire there. Um, one name that keeps coming up anytime I talk to a GM about, hey, if you had an opening, who would you hire? All of them say, oh, I would talk to David David Wagner, the German-American coach, most recently of Schalke, formerly of Huddersfield Town, of brief Premier League fame. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on, too. I do think Toronto end up sticking domestic. That's just kind of the gut feeling that I have. I think Noonan is a good shout. I mean, shoot, man, maybe maybe you make a run at Jim Curtin. He's only got a year left on his deal, and Philly hasn't been overly kind contractually to him. Um, but much like Schmetzer, he's he's the hometown kid, so who knows? Um, Going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. I think Atlanta, Paul, need to be on the phone with Patrick Vieira. I agree, but I think that they have been looking in Argentina for the next manager. And yeah, for like six months. Why haven't they hired one yet? Well, contract negotiations can be difficult. And sure. I think there's some elements of that in play as well. It's going to be a very interesting hire in Atlanta because there are some real... We talked about the power dynamics in Toronto, and I think that exists in Atlanta as well. 
Um, you know, you have Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra who won a championship in Atlanta. And that's going to buy them some time, as it should when you win a title. But it's gone really poorly um, since that championship. The roster decisions have backfired. The head coaching decision was was not handled well and, and clearly was the wrong choice. And so, you know, if you're going to go to Argentina and hire certain coaches, there is an expectation of having a say in what the roster looks like. And, and, I, and those dynamics were at play with Tata Martino as well. Um, right. But it's easier to have those dynamics in play when you're building from scratch. Well, it's also right. easier to have those dynamics when you're Tata Martino, right? But but when you yeah. get something so wrong as they did with Frank DeBoer, maybe you're willing to cede uh, a little bit more of that power and a little bit more of the say so to a head coach um, when you're when you're doing Perhaps. some roster building. We'll see. But I think that factors in in Atlanta as well. I think Vieira would be a slam dunk there if he went like a slam dunk. I think Vieira would be a great coach there. I actually think Vieira would also be... I think Vieira would be a really good fit in Toronto, and I think Vieira would be a really good fit in LA, too. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I think Vanny... The assumption is that Vanny's going to end up there. And I think that would be a good fit as well. He played with Chris Klein, albeit briefly, back in the day. Um, Who knows? Maybe Vanny can be a dark horse in Atlanta, too. He also played with Carlos Bocanegra on the U.S. national team, so... Uh, perhaps there's a little bit of a connection there. Going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Steve Goff of the Washington Post reporting that, that Chris Armis is the front runner in D.C. So, um, you know, kind of. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know what to say really about that other than, like, it fits the profile in terms of cost that D.C. would be going for. And I think it's pretty fair to say that D.C. are kind of... And this isn't, like, a judgment on Chris Armis's ability. But this is like a when you're talking about ambition, this is a pretty unambitious move uh, from DC United in terms of the price range that Armas is going to come from and the track record that he's coming off of. Yeah. First of all, I would like to say I think Chris Armas took too much of the blame for what went wrong in New York. I think the roster management there was poor, and I think he got really good results. And I actually got a few texts from different people around the league saying, that Chris Armis, I had one person say Chris Armis worked a miracle considering what that roster looked like to get the results that they did. They were they had a better record without him than with him this season. Yeah, I I mean again, this was a text that happened when he got fired. But I, I mean, I, I, I agree with parts agree of what with you're you. saying. I also agree with you in the sense that DC United should be far more ambitious than they are, and too much of what they do is dictated by how much it's going to cost. And those areas in which they allow the price to dictate most what they do are exactly the areas that teams like Toronto and Seattle invest and what makes them different and better. You know, all of the infrastructure is what matters. I had a quote in my story that I did where Garth Lagerway says infrastructure isn't sexy, but that's the place where I see other MLS teams struggle so much. They don't spend on infrastructure. Um, I'm paraphrasing all of it except for the infrastructure isn't sexy part. And and DC United, this is another example. I mean, a coach isn't technically infrastructure, but he really kind of is. He he's he's the the poster boy. He's the front fa- forward facing part of the infrastructure. And you know, it doesn't surprise me if they go with an option that's not going to cost them more than kind of middle to low market rate. Yep, exactly. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how these shakes out. I'm still surprised that Atlanta has taken so long. I know the rumors there are Gabriel Heinze. 
out of Argentina. So we'll see if that gets done. Paul, what, what you got? Sorry, I just wanted to say, Sam, let's let's just talk about this weird moment in MLS history right now. Okay, you have coaching jobs open in LA Galaxy, Toronto, Atlanta, and DC United. So three of the biggest markets in the league and a pretty big city and historic club, right? You also have three MLS teams for sale. I just think it's like a really weird kind of dynamic that's happening right now in that you don't normally see this many big jobs open. And I think there's also this other element over here on the side of, of these three teams for sale. Um, just really cool off field newsy things happening right now that I think you and I are both going to sink our teeth into, um, especially as the games kind of slow down, but just this weird moment in time for major league soccer. hundred percent. And we'll unpack the dy- dynamics of that in the future. I have one more note um, Four conference finalists. So I think of those conference finalists, you have a combined six coaches slash sporting directors slash GMs, whatever you want to call them. Um, five of them, I believe, are American, unless I'm miscounting. And the sixth, Adrian Heath, has been in the U.S. for his entire coaching career. Most of his part. coaching career. Most of all of his head coaching career. Well, yeah, not counting caretaker manager, yeah. Yeah, so um, just something to chew on there when when you think about these hires and where these people are coming from. So um, I think that's all we got for tonight. Other than this one really important thing, congratulations to our intrepid producer, Taylor Rockwell, um, and his wife on the birth of their new baby earlier this week. Um, Taylor is not producing the show because he is taking some well-deserved time off to spend with his newborn and Joe Lowry filling in off the bench. Joe, thanks for helping us out. We appreciate you with that for Paul Tenorio. I'm Sam Stasekel. This has been allocation disorder until next time.